Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 48 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and or share the show on social media, and if you have time, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. I've said this before and I'll say it again, I am greatly appreciative of everybody that listens to and shares the show. Uh, The listenership has been really great, I am very pleased, and real quick, you need to know what this means to me, because obviously I think everybody knows I had a really horrible beginning of the year, had the whole injury and infection, and seven weeks in the hospital, and therapy, and leg amputation, and coming out of that, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Because, obviously, I was away from my job for seven weeks. I was then told that I cannot work the insane hours that I was working before. So, I wasn't sure what I'd be able to come back to. Um, Thankfully, Ashish was really cool and accommodative about everything. And he basically let me do just what I love doing, which is reviews and columns. And then he gave me the opportunity to do this podcast. And... I wasn't sure how it was going to go because I know there are a shit ton of podcasts to listen to. And I, so far, this has gone way better than I thought it is gonna, was going to go. You guys have been great. It's obviously just not me. Steve Cook and Jeremy Lambert have been awesome with uh, being my co-host for this. They've made the show a lot better. But uh, sincerely, I just want to thank everybody because I really greatly appreciate it. We keep doing really great numbers. Every month is getting better. And I just really appreciate your time. So with that being said, I do want to introduce my co-host, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you, friend? I'm doing well. Um, I'm glad the, the show is doing well because I enjoy doing them. And I remember... When you first announced that, like, you're getting back in the podcast game, and I was excited that you asked me to be on because we used to do these, it seemed like, all the time. And now we're doing them all the time again. So we're we're not growing up, and I guess that's a good thing. Exactly. And, Helm, it's just fun. It's like we keep telling everybody, it's just so much fun to talk wrestling, and there's going to be a lot more fun coming here in October as we have the whole Wednesday Night War kicking up and just – All kind of stuff going on with wrestling. We're coming off of a really great wrestling weekend, Jeremy. We already talked NXT TakeOver Cardiff, and we talked AEW All Out. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about Royal Quest and catch up with that show. And then we have several other topics that we are going to break into tonight. Uh, The first one, Jeremy, I would like to talk about, and it was something we kind of threw around. Um, Underutilized WWE talents. Now, before we get into this, this isn't so-and-so needs to be world champion and -and so-and-so needs to be pushed to the moon. These are, like, my list is just people I've come up with that could be, should be, and really need to be used much better because they've shown that they are great at various levels and great at what they do and that WWE is just not making the most of what they have with an absolutely loaded roster. So, Jeremy, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, do you have a first name on your list you would like to discuss? The Real quickly, it is they do have a loaded roster. Not everybody can, can you know, be world champion. So I'm with you that just because we say this person's name doesn't mean they should be world champion. I've learned from booking many years in uh, TEW that 
you want to sign everybody, but then you realize, oh, shit, you only have so many titles and stuff to go around. Uh, as far as – so I realize it's a, it's a difficult job to, to get everybody and use everybody in the proper way. As far as underutilized, I mean, Cesaro is – the first name that immediately pops into mind, it, the dude has a banger on NXT UK, and then he comes back to Raw for no reason. Like, he should have been used on the NXT UK tapings to, to help boost that show. And so they fly him back for Raw so he can lose in six minutes to The Miz. It's like, all right, I get The Miz as a title shot coming up, but you couldn't throw anybody else in that position. Like, you have so many guys just sitting around backstage. You couldn't just... I, I can't I can't think of a name off the top of my head, but Apollo Cruz. No, that's another underutilized guy. Honestly, no way, Jose just sitting back there in cage. Yeah, like Bo you, Dallas you have, was busy. Right, like you have so many guys. Like you just had to use Cesaro, and I get like a win over Cesaro might mean a little bit more over Bo Dallas. So okay, fine, but it just you know don't don't hold down these guys who are so talented. Like just let them do more. And I mean, Shelton Benjamin would have been good. He, he lost tonight to, to Alistair Black. And like, that was a perfect spot for Shelton Benjamin, a veteran guy who would just come in there, make, make a, a younger guy look good. And, and that's that, like they have plenty of these people that they could use for that position. We, we don't think of them because Jesus, they, they don't use a lot of these people. Heath Slater, like, well, what's Heath Slater doing? Uh, so yeah, Cesaro is a name. Apollo Crews is, is another name that should be doing more uh, given his talent. Uh, th- those are the top two that really come off the top of my head. They, they've gotten better. Uh, Andrade is doing a little bit better. Ali, Buddy Murphy, like those guys are probably still underused as well, but at least they're getting some some TV time as of late. Completely agree with Cesaro. He was actually at the top of my list as well. And again, I understand that Cesaro is getting older. This is not push Cesaro to the moon and make him world champion, but I mean, this is a guy that could be a workhorse for you, that could be in that mid-card title mix, that could be having great matches all the time. Not just once in a blue moon with Aleister Black on pay-per-view and then in NXT UK. And yeah, if they, I, I hated that they've just flew him back to do the job on Raw. And again, that's no indictment of The Miz. It's fine. Miz has a title shot coming up. Miz should have won the match. That's okay. But how many other guys are sitting in the back and doing nothing? And like Jeremy said, and that's the point that I just feel that... Yeah, Cesaro can be used so much better. I mean, you know, maybe he'll pop in and do some stuff with NXT... But, I mean, I really would have liked to see him do... And, again, some people will say you're banishing him to this. No, man. I mean, let him do six months in NXT UK. Let him help build that brand. Let him work with younger guys. Let him have bangers with guys like Dragunov and fucking Pete Dunne and all kind of people. Just let him have some great matches over there and be used. Because, like we said in our review, man, Cesaro looks so goddamn happy during that NXT UK match. This man was having the time of his life. The crowd was hot. He came off like a star, performed like a star as always, had a great match. There are better ways to use him. Again, I'm not saying make him Universal Champion. I'm not even saying make him IC Champion, but like get him in the mix somewhere. Make sure he's used. He's a commodity that you could be doing a lot more with. Yeah, Cesaro. I mean, we love Cesaro, and he is long in the tooth. But as, as far as just his overall age, but he's he's still really good. 
and we we talk about him all the time on the podcast. I, I mentioned this before, but he had like a, a good gimmick going on on WWE YouTube that never made television, and I don't understand why. And I think this could have been, you know, the knock on Cesaro has been, oh, he doesn't show any personality. Like this was a this the stuff he was doing on YouTube was like, hey, this guy has a personality, and we know he can go in the ring, like. Let him do more. He should be like at a United States title or an intercontinental title level. Like that's where he should be, and he's not for some reason. He's he's doing six minutes jobs uh, jobs to the Miz. You know, and I know a lot of people like the Bar Tag Team, and they did have some good matches, but that whole time for me just felt like almost wasted on Cesaro because he could have been a guy that. Here's the thing: they they don't really book the damn mid card. You know, they book the top of the card, they book some other stuff, but they don't pay a lot of attention to the mid card. And that's a guy that you could have built programs around. And again, he doesn't have to be the focus of the damn show. That is not the point of what we're talking about. This is just the fact that you have a guy that is extremely good still. Yes, he's getting older, but he's still in great shape. He's still having great matches. He always gets a reaction. There's no reason not to be using him better. No, you. It's a shame, and I'm with you that it's not a banishment if he goes to NXT UK or NXT. NXT is legitimately a third brand right now. Like, let's let's be honest about that. It should not be looked at as a lower level than Raw or SmackDown because most weeks it's probably going to be a better show than Raw or SmackDown. Like, if he goes to NXT, that would be great. Even if he goes to NXT UK, like, this is why I don't understand why he wasn't on the television tapings. Or the, the yeah the tapings because he was there on Saturday they taped on Sunday have him be there and then you get four or five weeks of Cesaro on WWE Network for NXT UK and you boost the profile of that show and what does he miss one Raw where they flew him back to do a six minute match against the Miz they couldn't have done that for somebody else I just like that to me is also just underutilization of. It, it undercuts yourself by not doing that, by putting him on NXT UK. Like it kind of it undercuts that brand just to make the Miz look somewhat stronger, I guess. But even the, okay, the Miz beat Cesaro. Is it that big of a win? Uh, we love Cesaro, but he's not like he's been booked the strongest. So is it that big of a win? Probably not. Exactly. I, I and I really wish he would have stuck around for the tapings to do some stuff. And who knows if he'll be back at this point. And that's a shame. Because, again, that's a guy that has some star power compared to... And this is no offense to the UK roster, but comparatively to the UK roster, he has more star power because he has been on the USA Network for years. And he's well-known in Europe. So the fact is, and the other thing is too, is you need to start building up NXT UK some more because NXT isn't going to be your main weekly draw on the network. Obviously, it's going to air 24 hours later and there is still going to be people watching it. But, I mean, you know, you need to start shoring up NXT UK and 205 Live and whatever else you're going to run on the network to kind of make up for losing that first run NXT show. So yeah, I think that was a misstep. Did, Triple H said NXT UK is the second most watched program weekly behind NXT. Exactly. So you should still be building it up because NXT is probably going to take a hit. Right. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, 
this is why you put Cesaro on that show because there's a good chance NXT UK might be the most watched weekly program on the network. So why wouldn't you do everything you can to, to just boost the profile of Cesaro and boost the profile of the network and boost the profile of NXT UK? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I'm really wondering what the whole thought process behind the scenes was because you bring him over and he has a great match and he, he beats Dragunov and Dragunov looked really good in defeat and everything. And then you just, there's no follow-up on those tapings. So it's just like, was it just a one-time thing? Did we just get our hopes up? Was there really no forethought put into it? And they're just, we're to bring him over one time and that's it. Instead that's what of, it seems like, honestly. Un- and that's unfortunate because, again, I think you have a missed opportunity. And this this is not us saying you relocate the man to the fucking UK or anything. I mean, like they tape infrequently, like once a month or once every six weeks or whatever the hell they tape. He tapes after this um, takeover. He goes back to Florida, wherever he's living. And then, you know, he, he works TV when they need him. And then it's like, hey, Cesaro, 10 days. We got NXT UK taping. Here, here's your uh, itinerary and shit. You're going back over and you're working a program with so-and-so. And then again, he can come right back. It's not like we're asking them to relocate the man and inconvenience him. But yeah, it could be used much better. So I agree on Cesaro. Definitely, like I said, he was on my list. Um, next up, I'm actually going to stick with the uh, the UK brand, Jeremy. Someone I know you like a lot, Jordan Devlin. Global superstar Jordan Devlin. Jordan Devlin. Um, if you just watch NXT UK, you will probably not fully understand why I'm going to talk about Jordan Devlin because he is very good on NXT UK, but. You wouldn't think that he's anything more than a kind of garden variety guy and like a, you know, some people knock him for being like a mini Finn Balor and stuff like that. But the fact is, is if you have seen some of his work outside of NXT UK and like OTT and stuff against like Walter and David Starr, just spectacular fucking matches, match of the year level stuff. And these are not just like flippy do matches and stuff like that, especially the Walter match, obviously. But these are matches with great backstories, great in-ring storytelling. The dude has star written all over him, which is why I hate that they already blew through the Walter match with him in NXT UK. Because they really, really could have played it up. Because here's the thing, too, is like, you know, WWE kind of used some archival footage of stuff with uh, Tony Storm and Kaylee Ray to tell the story that they had issue or friendship and stuff outside of NXT UK before they came there. They could have done the same thing with Devlin and Walter, and they could have really done a lot with him. So he's a guy that just seems to have no direction right now. And honestly should be one of the main stars of the brand. Love Jordan Devlin mentioned it before the NXT UK show. Like why wasn't he on this show? And you know, triple H he did a recent interview saying like Jordan Devlin's a global superstar and everything. And it's like, all right, then push this man. Yeah. I I'm with you. His NXT UK stuff has been fine, but kind of just unmemorable. And yeah, they, they blew through the Walter match. Uh, but if you watch him outside of NXT UK, you see why he has something. And I wish they would, do more with him. NXT UK is in a similar position to NXT where there's a lot of talent and they only have one hour. I mean, they could stretch it to two. It's their network. Uh, I guess they have TV deals in, in the UK, maybe. 
but th- there's a lot of talent and they they have a limited time they should still be finding a way to do more with Jordan Devlin and it doesn't look like he was really featured much on the tapings either I think he he might have had a match that he won but they they got to figure out a way to to do more with this guy because he can be a credible challenger to Walter. Like he can be, they don't have a mid card title. If they did, like he would be a perfect guy for that title. Exactly, I definitely agree. They, um, yeah, just a guy I really think they should be doing more with. Uh, next on your list, Jeremy, the Kabuki Warriors. Yes. Where where are Oscar and Kyrie saying? They, you know, the worst, not the worst part about this, like they, as a team, they should be doing more. Remember when everybody loved Paige? You can throw Paige as part of the Kabuki Warriors. They should be doing more with her as well. Remember when everyone loved Paige as the general manager because she was like the greatest general manager in wrestling history? And then they did the, they did away with it because Baron Corbin sucks. And Shane's like, don't worry, she'll be sticking around. And then she went away for months, and then she's just randomly aligned with Asuka and Kairi Sane, and then they're never on television. That whole trio is just completely underutilized. I don't think the pairing makes sense, but if you're going to pair them up, do something with them. Yeah. In the company's defense, real quick, Paige hasn't been on TV as of late because she just had neck surgery again. But yeah, definitely agree on the Kabuki Warriors. I mean, if you're not going to feature them as a strong team and use them... I mean, you should be featuring them as singles wrestlers because they're so damn good. And Jesus Christ, I they haven't been on TV in weeks again. They go through these long stretches where you, like, never see them. And people are like, ooh, they're on live events. Well, fucking good for the people at live events. I don't get to see them. And again, this is one of those things that, like, I don't know, man. Just You need to do something with them. I don't have an answer because they don't... It's like, I, I like the Bliss and Nikki Cross act and stuff, but I'd like an actual really good tag team to have the titles at some point. We had that, and they took them away in a month, and then somebody threw a fit, and now she's the biggest star on the brand. So. Yeah, so I just, um, I wish they would definitely do more with them. I completely agree on that one, no doubt. Next on my list is Grand Metalik. This is a dude that I thought would be impossible for WWE to use him worse than New Japan did. Because when he was in CMLL, he signed one of those dual contracts and worked a year in New Japan. And they essentially did jack shit with him. Dude is great. And he comes in WWE, has a good run in the Cruiserweight Classic. The Lucha House Party is over and stuff, but like... Half the time, he's, like, not used, and he just disappears at random times, and then he reappears, and then when he reappears, he's doing the job. And it's just, like, he's probably unmotivated as hell right now, which I can't blame the guy. But it's, like, that's a really good dude that is an extremely great worker that they should be doing so much more with. 205 Live needs to really mix up some of the guys, because, like, tonight's, or Tuesday night's show was... Not bad by any means, but it was frustrating because they had a Cruiserweight title match set up for Clash of Champions between Drew Gulak and Humberto Carrillo. And that feud made total sense. Carrillo won the title shot. Drew Gulak was his mentor early on in 205 Live. 
And then he realized how much of an asshole Drew Gulak was, and him and Jack Gallagher left Gulak. And so he earns his way to a title shot against his former mentor to where he can get revenge. So what do they do tonight on Tuesday? They run a match with Lince Dorado, which they had been teasing. And the gimmick was if Lince Dorado won, he got into the match and it was going to be a triple threat. So what did they do? They had Lince Dorado win and killed the perfectly booked singles match. And then afterwards, Drew Gulak attacked. And then Tony Nese, who has been a loser since he lost the title, joined in and beat the shit out of the babyfaces. And now he's back being Drew Gulak's best friend because he's a loser. So This sounds terrible. So it's like you took away a perfectly built match and then you went back to variations on the same thing you did for like most of 205 Live's run with Gulak and Nice. And they're a good pairing together, but it's like I've already seen it a ton. Don't want to see it again. You need to mix in some new guys. You need to you need to shuffle up the card. Grand Metalik needs a shot. Bring it you like you've used like Hector or um Angel Garza and um, Isaiah Scott as uh, like guest appearances. Get those guys up there every once in a while. Mix up the roster stuff. But Grand Metalik is a guy that's just criminally underused and just yeah, they could do so much more with him. I I, I don't watch a ton of Two Hundred Five Live. I haven't seen this week's episode. I'm trying to be better about it. I thought Grand Metalik, like coming out of the Cruiserweight Classic, was definitely going to be a guy who, all right, they're they're going to do something with him, but they they just don't know how to do anything with masks like superstars. They really don't. A Ray was big because Ray was already big, and they even almost you know underutilized him for years until Eddie passed away, and they're like, oh, well, let's push Ray now. Uh, Kalisto, I thought, had way more potential than they ever gave him. Uh, I guess they gave him the, the U.S. title, but God, they stuck him in that terrible feud with Alberto Del Rio. Sin Cara, the original one, should have been more. like they, They're not good at booking mass superstars. Thank God Andrade is a good-looking person and was willing to take off his mask because this guy would be nothing if he still had his mask on. Pretty much. So who is next up on your list? Hello? Yeah. Hello? I'm here. Oh, I hear you now. Okay. So who's next up on your list? Oh. Um, all right. This is a, a weird one, maybe, but just go with me here. Renee Young. And I say Renee Young because she's good on commentary. She's not great. uh, And she admits she's not great. She should be doing more. She should be doing... Remember that sit-down interview she did with Paul Heyman? That was awesome. She should be doing stuff like that every week. I know she's going to hopefully host the, the studio show. Like She was great every week on Talking Smack. I think she is better than just doing being a third wheel on commentary and being, you know, the the butt of Corey Graves jokes every week and getting talked over by Michael Cole. Like she's really the third wheel on that broadcast team and she's way more talented than to be stuck with those two goofs. Yeah, I think that's fair. I like a lot of her non-commentary stuff. Like you said, like she was really good on Talking Smack and that interview with Heyman was really good. I would love to see her do a lot more stuff like that. 
Her commentary sometimes just kills me, though, because it's a bunch of, oh, damn. I heard that. And then, like you said, Corey Graves, like, just fucking burying her with poor jokes every week. So, yeah, I could I could do without that. I'd like to see her do some different stuff because I think she's really good at a lot of that. Yeah, no one thought Renee Young was going to be on this list, did you? That's right. I'm going to go next to Jeremy to a man that you and I love. He's, he's a god among men, honestly. He has a weird name in developmental, but Big Stoke Stokely Hathaway. Yeah. This man has seemingly been in developmental what feels like eight years already. He's not been on TV. He's not doing anything. And if they would actually put him on TV, and I know a lot of people don't watch Evolve, and I understand that. But if they put this dude on TV, he would instantly be one of the best talkers in the company. He is so good. He has a ton of charisma. And I get WWE is largely anti-manager. But this is a man that needs to be featured on TV. He needs to be managing someone. Needs to be in an important role. And hopefully with NXT going the two hours, maybe that's going to happen. But they need to use my man Big Stoke and they need to use him soon. I got a good feeling about Stokely when, or Malcolm Bivens, when NXT goes the two hours and on USA. Got a good feeling. I, I don't have any actual information, but you had two hours to fill. You, you're going to have talking segments. You're going to have backstage promos. You put this guy on TV for 30 seconds, a minute, however long. Like That's all he needs. We've all seen his YouTube videos. Like They're, they're 30 seconds to a minute long, and he gets – himself over and then whoever does the video with him over uh, immediately so i with with more time to fill i would be very surprised if, if stokely is not on television within the the first month of the usa run and if he's not then i don't know someone screwed up they're obviously coming around on managers because they hired him and they've got a uh, robbie e as a manager as well in nxt triple h seems to understand that there's a role for them i remember at the tapings when they were doing the breakout tournament like there was the reports that stokely was in the front row like scouting and then that never really played out on television yeah um i tell you what like right now like one story i could see them doing which would be great is like you know keith lee has found himself in a funk and he hasn't been winning he's taken some losses to um damian priest and uh dominic dijakovic and stuff and you could do a story kind of where Keith Lee's losing his way there and uh, Big Stoke is the man that can bring him around and turn him into the monster he can be. And that would be great because those guys have great chemistry because they worked against each other and evolve. So I could see that working really well. Um, that's my first third. That's just off the top of my head. You can have that one for free, Triple H. And, uh, but yeah, just do something with my man. He's too good to be sitting in developmental work in the coconut loop. Agreed. Agreed. Anyone else you want to talk about? I have one more. Shoot. And I don't even know if he's underutilized because that would mean he's on television at all. Where in the fuck is Rusev? Yeah, apparently he's quote-unquote on vacation. I mean, I, good for him. I he guess that to... he just took time off or they sent him home because he was frustrated or whatever and he's just living the life with Lana and hanging out and... 
not beating himself up. And I mean, you know, I mean, that's, that's good for him in a way, but it's just like, yeah, I just, oh my God, I, that's another guy that if, if he's not going to be world champion, which you could have made an argument easily that he can be, that's another guy who easily could have been one of your mid-card workhorses, always in the mix for a US or IC title, and always a guy that you could heat up for a title shot. Uh, I just, I don't, you know, they went wrong with him several times. They kind of like never really embraced the Rusev Day stuff when he was insanely over, which I don't know why. It's Duly like noted. It's like he got fucking over organically. And how dare you do that, right, Zack Ryder? I mean, how fucking dare you, right? <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Zack Ryder, he's not underutilized at this point because it's just, it's past his time. Oh, yeah. But in history, that guy went out and started his own YouTube show and got himself over. And now, like, this is what everyone does. Like Zack Ryder was so far ahead of his time, not so far, but he was definitely ahead of his time with that YouTube show. And you know, and then it's like the elite guys owe Zack Ryder a lot. Yeah. It's uh, that, that, that one is always so frustrating to me. And again, this is not make Zack Ryder the world champion, but yeah, yes, he had some IC and us title wins and he has like a, a got a tag title win recently and stuff like that. But it's just like, that's another guy who is in great shape. He worked really hard. He was having good matches. No reason he should not have been a mid-card workhorse that can sit there and do the um, do the mid-card title stuff. And he's also a guy that, like, you know, depending on how you do things, I mean, he's a guy that you could rarely, when he was so over, you could have heated him up for a random world title match on TV. I'm not saying pay-per-view, but you could have built it up and, like, he could have ran through some guys and you could have been, like, you know, it's like, you know, Zack Ryder is, you know, he has like a 10-week winning streak and the WWE's taking notice and next week he's going to face whoever the fuck is the Universal slash World Champion and you build it up and people are into it and it's a fun match. It's, that's all you need to do with them. Just use them better, but they didn't. Yep, pretty much. But yeah, I completely agree on Rusev and uh, I'll go with my last one. I know one we'll agree on. Drew McIntyre. Yeah, Drew, this is a guy, I kind of put him in the same position as like a Samoa Joe where they're underutilized because they could be world champions, but they're still on television every week. It's just they could be world champions and they're not. And okay, no, there's only two world champions, but you could still find a way to do more than these guys. Drew, they just stop and start and Joe is kind of the same way. That's the thing. They start and stop with him so often that it's really damaged him. And that's that's a problem. And that's a guy that I think, because he said he wants to do it, that's a guy that could greatly benefit from like a six-month stint in NXT UK. Just get him away from the main U.S. roster for a while. Because they're not doing anything with him. It does him no good to win a match and then lose a match and then win a couple matches and then lose a match and then always lose to Roman Reigns. And you just need to do, he's a guy you could do a lot more with great look, good wrestler, not bad on the mic at all. He could be doing so much more. And he's just, he's just a dude that it feels like they're really confused with. It's like, we brought him back. We took him off the indie scene. He did really good. And 
we're glad we have them. We just don't know what to do with them. Yeah, pretty much. So, so that's our uh, WWE underutilized performers talk. Going to move on to New Japan Pro Wrestling and Fight TV. The Royal Quest Show 2019 aired over the weekend on Fight TV, and I think I could put it um, as bluntly as possible: it was a clusterfuck. It um, wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, the first match you couldn't really hear commentary at all. There was feed issues. Uh, the commentary issues continued into the next couple matches. There were feed issues throughout pretty much the first four matches. Um, made them almost impossible to watch at times. Uh, I don't know where all the blame fully lies, but it's just the fact that... I, I know this. I don't have these problems on New Japan World, and I had similar problems to this when they did the shows in Australia. And I reviewed uh, the, the Southern Showdown or whatever it was called from Australia. I had problems like this too. And it pisses me off. And fans are pissed off because they pay for New Japan World and they expect to get all these New Japan shows. And then it's like, yeah, we're going to do this show in the UK. Awesome, that's great, a UK New Japan show. Yeah, but fuck you, you have to pay $25 if you want to see it. But don't worry, like 48 hours, we're going to put it on New Japan World if you paid for it and got the fucked up version. Yeah, um, I, I watched the Fight TV version, watched it live, and you know, waiting for Signal is what I saw half of the time for the first half of the show. And it took me out of the show, to be quite honest. And this was this was that crazy Saturday where, where CM Punk is talking as well and NXT UK is going on. So my attention was pulled in a, in a couple different directions as it was, and if you're going to do something like this to where it, you're going to have these issues and then there's two other things that are of, of importance as well going on, you're third on my priority list. And it's just a bad time for this stuff to happen. And granted, like, all right, it's up on New Japan World now. They did get it up quickly. Where the fuck is the Super Jacob? Uh, they, they did get the show up quickly at least. But yeah, if you paid for this show, then you kind of feel pretty screwed because you didn't get the first half of the show. And I, I imagine if you paid for this show, you're probably a New Japan World subscriber anyway. So you really, it's not a good look for, for Fight TV or New Japan. And I don't know who to put the blame on, but it, whoever it is, it's it's not good. Yeah, it, it was not a good look at all. And speaking of the Super J Cup, that's another thing people were pissed about because... Um, as we're recording, it is technically early Wednesday morning. And I don't know if you guys know, if you're a New Japan fan, you do. The Destruction Tour starts in about five hours, Jeremy, with the Road to Destruction shows. And we still have no Super J Cup uploaded. And now you had, you had an anticipated tournament that a lot of people wanted to see. And it's still not up. It's going to be a complete afterthought lost in the middle of this destruction tour by the time it is posted. It's extremely frustrating. It's For me, it's frustrating because I wanted to see it. And secondly, because of my scheduling. Because now I'm going to have to fit these shows in whenever the fuck they get uploaded. And they're probably going to be about three and a half hours each. So that's about ten and a half hours of shows I'm going to have to find time to review. It's a good thing I don't sleep. But it's just the fact that it's it seems absolutely ridiculous that in 2019 when they offer so many shows on New Japan World, 
you couldn't find a way to get the Super J Cup up either quicker or do it live. Or why didn't you go with Fight TV for these and like bundle them as a three-day package? Because now it's like, I wonder how many people are actually going to watch them because I know a lot of people that once you have a show, if it's a couple weeks past, a lot of people won't go back and watch a show because there's so much other shit to watch in current time. So I think that was a huge misstep with the Super J Cup that kind of minimalizes its overall impact. Nowadays, in 2019, you can't do a show and then wait over a week to air it. Unless it's a television show. Because, you know, NXT, NXT UK, even when they did, like, the Cruiserweight Classic or the the Mae Young, and at least they did the finals for for that stuff live. Um, But you you can't do uh, a television show or you can't do, like, a big event like this. And then wait over a week to put it on because there is so much stuff happening. And with, you know, the television show is obviously weekly, episodic, longest running, whatever events. All right. You got the Super J Cup. We if you if you're trying to avoid spoilers, then you don't know who won. But then they've already held an event, which was Royal Quest. So, you know, who won. And now they're going to have the destruction tour. And so you really just you've already seen past what this show is that's going to happen and play out. So when they, when they did the super J cup, yeah, it should have been on, on fight TV the day of, or 24 hour later, it should have been on new Japan, uh, 24 hours later, it should have been available on fight the, the day of, but, now that it's been two weeks now, I, I think at least a week and it'll be two weeks by this weekend. It just, all right, I might go back and watch them because I'm sure there are some good matches, but it all feels inconsequential. And it shouldn't because this is like this should have been a big tournament. And it's Liger wrestling in these arenas for the last time. Like this should all feel like a big deal. And it, it just it doesn't anymore. Yeah, they completely minimalize the overall impact. And it's a real shame because I was really looking forward to these. And now it's. Unfortunately, now it's to a point that it's going to feel like work when it normally doesn't for me. Because now it's like I'm going back in time. And I don't like spending time going back. You know, that's why, like, every once in a while I like doing a retro show with Steve. But there's too much current shit going on for me to do that most times. So I just, um, yeah. So, very unfortunate. But uh, speaking of Royal Quest and the, uh, the fuckery of problems, we will run down the show here. Started off, Jeremy, uh, Rocky Romero, Sho and Yo defeated Taguchi, Ren Narita, and Shooter Umino in eight minutes. I thought this was a pretty good little opener. They had a good crowd. Uh, the UK crowd was chanting for Shooter. They were into him they big were. time, which was... Apparently, he got big reactions on the uh, the Super J-Cup shows as well. So, the Moxley pairing apparently helped him a lot. He's, he's over everywhere. And um, But yeah, they, they had a pretty good little basic opener. You know, it was uh, pretty much what you expected. Rocky Romero in 3K1. Um, it was it was pretty good and it was fine. The crowd was really good. They were really good all night too, much like the uh, Cardiff show as well. Crowd was was great the, the entire night. The fact that like they were so into this match and, and tra- chanting for Shooter um, and just... Yeah, the, it stuck the whole way. I was worried that by the end it might be a little burnout, but no, they they were there all night, and you know, that was a uh, boosted this show. Yeah, and it, it's tough to it's tough to you know three three K is good, 
uh, Taguchi is fine, especially in these tag matches. Shooters, he's over. And Rin, Rin Narita is the best wrestler in the world. So, yeah, it's, it was a fine opener, and the crowd made it that much better. Yeah, speaking of Taguchi, man, oh, my God, the crowd was into everything. They, they just wanted to see all the Taguchi spots. You know, and it's yeah, just, definitely. And, and again, that's that was perfect putting him in the opener because you're going to get that great reaction. And like 3K and Rocky are always really good. So, yeah, it just it worked out really good. Perfect little opening match. Uh, moving on, Juice Robinson and Kota Ibushi defeated Yujiro Takahashi and Hikaleo in nine minutes. Jeremy, your thoughts? And nothing much to this match. We knew who was going to win. Um, you said it in the preview, like you thought Juice should have gotten the pinfall. I agree with you. Like Coda didn't really need it. It would have been better if, like, just give it to Juice. It's not a huge deal, but it just visually looks better if Juice just gets his pinfall. But it, it, this was what you expected to be a quick little match with two, one major star, one one semi star, and and two undercard guys. Yeah, perfectly solid match. Right guys won, but I would, like you said, I would have preferred Juice won. I got the pin. Next up, the in a non-title match, the newly named Birds of Prey, Will Ospreay and Robbie Eagles defeated Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions Taiji Ishimori and El Fantasma in 11 minutes. They had a great little sprint here that I thought played off of the established feuds well. The baby faces got some revenge. Uh, the crowd was absolutely great here. And this is setting up a junior tag title match here on the Destruction Tour, Jeremy. As you said, good good sprint. You you put these four guys in there with each other. It's tough for them to have a bad match. Even I mean, honestly, if you give them less time, it just means they're gonna go all out that much more. So the the sprint worked to their favor here. The, the crowd was obviously into Osprey Eagles Phantasmo. So this worked out really well. I I love this match. This is a, a quick match that you can easily just throw on digest it and you don't blink and you take it all in and you're like okay that fucking ruled for the 11 minutes that it was on yep and that's what it's perfect too because it was it was an undercard match did not need to go long and like as i i felt they left a lot of meat on the bone and i mean that in a good way because they are doing the rematch and it's a semi-main event spot so they're probably going to get closer to 20 minutes this time so you, you need to leave things on the bone so you can come back and do some new stuff. Um, right winners, obviously, because not only do you set up the title shot, but you, Osprey winning in the UK just made sense. Uh, crowd reaction was evident, evidence of that because they were, they were into everything. They loved the match. They loved the title challenge afterwards. Just uh, great stuff all around. First really, really great thing on the show. Uh, up next, Naito and Sonata defeated Jay White and Chase Owens. I thought this was pretty good. It was basically there to continue Naito and Juice, or Naito and Jay White, sorry. Um, it was largely night off Naito, though, with Sonata and Jay, uh, Chase Owens working most of the match. Post-match, we got the big angle, obviously. White attacks Naito, nails Sonata with a chair. Naito fights back, hits Destino, and then covers him for the visual pin to continue setting up their IC title match coming up on the Destruction Tour. Naito didn't give a fuck about this match. Uh, he, I'm not saying that he mailed it in. I'm saying that he realized this is some undercard tag team match and he's getting up there and he's kind of beaten up and he realized, eh, I ain't really got to do shit for this one. And so that's what he did. And you know what? Sometimes you got to do that. It, it was fine. 
Get ready for a lot of that here on the Destruction Tour, brother, because they're running variations on this match the whole tour. Yeah, Naito is just going to be like, all right. I mean, he can get away with it, especially in these undercard matches in places where he doesn't visit that often because he was still over and everything. He's like, all right, I'm just going to come out here. He's just going to hit in a be tranquillo, and that's that. And you're going to love me, and I'm not actually going to give you much. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be overly critical. I mean, it was night off Naito, but the thing is, is like, I don't need him killing himself in a 13-minute tag match. It's just a setup for a bigger match. He did some of his signature shit. They did the post-match angle, and they're going to do that all tour long. And that's fine, because he does need to rest up, because my man is not in the greatest of shape between his neck and knees. Uh, next up, the champions, uh, IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Gorillas of Destiny defeated Aussie Open in 14 minutes. I thought they had a great tag match here. I thought Aussie Open looked really good, even in the loss. It was nice to see the Gorillas working really hard again like they did in the Briscoes matches, and uh, the crowd again was completely awesome here. This is the power of the Briscoes and why they're the greatest team of all time, because Gorillas of Destiny had been doing shit in New Japan and just having the same match with Evil and Sonata or worse matches. And they worked the Briscoes, and all of a sudden, Gorillas of Destiny come back and they look completely rejuvenated here against Aussie Open. And Aussie Open held up their own end. Like, I'm sure that played a part into it, too. But that ruins my Briscoes of the best narrative. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this match. The only thing was there was no big threat of Aussie Open winning. Like, they teased it, but I never I never quite bought it. And uh, that's about the only issue I had with this. But otherwise, for a Gorillas of Destinies match, like, this is one of the best you're going to find, at least in recent memory in New Japan. Yeah, definitely, and it, it it's nice to because people were like, "Oh, you always shit on the Gorillas of Destiny." Well, when you're having two star specials all the fucking time filled with interference, yeah. Like when you're giving me matches, I don't care about. Yes, I'm gonna shit on them. I'm just being honest. But I've also been honest when they have really good and great matches, like the Briscoe matches and this one. So yeah, it's nice to see them stepping up and feeling re-energized and stuff like that. So yeah, hopefully that can continue. Moving on, never open weight title match. Kenta defeated Big Tom Ishii at 20 minutes via pin. Oh boy. This is a match. Okay, first of all, let me get... The first half of this match is absolutely great. And I thought we were in for something really special here. And then they picked up the intensity. Kenta hit a German. Big Tom popped up. Dumped him on his head with a German. And from that point on at the halfway point, Kenta was fucking out of it. And I'm not talking just dazed and confused. My man is stumbling around. He's having trouble standing, period. And this is a point where they really either should have stopped it or just gone home immediately. They needed to do something. But it carried on for about another 9 to 10 minutes. And... The worst part of it is, is they just kept doing the match they had planned, which meant they were just beating the shit out of each other. And again, Kenta's just looking out of it. And then you had Bullet Club bullshit with the Gorillas of Destiny getting involved. And Kenta wins the title, which is the right call coming off the Shibata angle. But then after the match, it's scary as shit because he has the title and he's trying to climb the ropes to do the big celebration spot. 
This fucker can't even get up on the ropes. He's about to fall on his ass. So, some are saying he got a concussion, some are saying he didn't. The fact is, he got knocked the fuck out and didn't know where he was. And, um... I'm not, this isn't like a big indictment. Oh my God, we need to stop every match every time someone gets a little dinged up. But I mean, this did not need to go as long as it didn't continue after that. I don't know what you think, Jeremy, but that's just my thought. This was tough to watch. Um, very, very tough to watch after Kenta got knocked out. And look, it looked like a concussion. I'm not a doctor. Kenta tweeted out that he went to the hospital and he was fine. Sure, maybe he was, maybe it wasn't a concussion. Again, I, I don't know for certain, but he was clearly knocked out. Um, he, he couldn't stand. He, him and Ishii just they they blew a lot because they were still, they, as you said, they tried to work the same match, so they're doing like suplex spots and you know the the they're falling over and stuff because Kenta can't lift anybody. There was one point where or Ishii pinned him. And Kenta clearly forgot to kick out, and so the ref had to stop his count so Kenta could could kick out. And it it was so tough to watch. I felt uncomfortable watching this. I'm with you. You don't need to stop a match every single time something like this happens, but you also don't need and like just end it. But you also don't need to go for another 13 minutes or however long this was. It, it felt much longer. Like, it really felt like they went. Like You said the match was only 20 minutes. It felt like it was 20 minutes after he got knocked out. Like, that's how just slow and uncomfortable I was watching the, the second part of this match. Uh, call an audible at that point. Like, look what Taker and, and Goldberg did. They realized that shit was falling apart. And Taker's like, take this fucking choke slam, stay down, and that's going to be that. Like, that's what they should have done here. Just call an audible, get it home, and, and get out of there. Because, oof, it, it was, I, I felt uncomfortable watching this, Larry. I really did. Yeah, it, it was. And like like I said, the scariest part really was after the match. I mean, it was, it was obviously uncomfortable during it, but after the match, watching him trying to climb the ropes and just looking like he had no mental capacity to be on his feet. It was yeah. really scary. So, I mean, he's supposed to be working the tour, and he has a big match with Ibushi coming up, and <sighs> hopefully he's okay. But, yeah, it's just um, you needed to do something. need to go home early. It's just, um, yeah, not good. And that's um, part of that is just uh, on the company. You need to train your referees better. Because obviously, you know, in New Japan, I under trust me, I understand that it's hard hitting and shit kicking, and they're gonna beat the hell out of each other. And I love a lot of that, especially my big Tom Ishii matches. But when you have one guy that's out on his feet, and they just continue slapping and punching the shit out of each other, and they're not holding up. I mean, these, those forearms and slaps, man, that's flesh hitting flesh. There's no thigh yeah. slapping going on, you know. So they're just. And that is obviously not just going to bring Kenta around magically. It's not it's not like when Hogan got knocked out and the Macho Man dropped a bunch of elbows <laughs> to revive him. You know, the, the, this is not the fake bullshit. This is the real shit going on here. So, yeah, it's very uncomfortable, very unfortunate. And hopefully, um, I, I obviously don't know the New Japan innards and, like, the inner workings and all that, but hopefully they um, 
you need to take stock of something like this because you, you can't can't let a dude get his bell wrong or have a concussion or whatever it is. But he was we've watched enough MMA, Jeremy. He was out on his feet for a while. They're they're lucky it wasn't worse. Exactly, like, it was bad. It was it was definitely bad. They're lucky it wasn't worse, especially with the strikes they were throwing and stuff because. Like Ishii really could have knocked him out cold with with one of those strikes, and then it's like, all right, what you know, what are you supposed to do from there? Um, so they're they're really lucky that it wasn't as bad as it was, and it was already really bad. And they're lucky Kenta didn't get more seriously hurt, or even worse, hurt Ishii in the process. Yeah, I mean, it could have been catastrophically bad going for spots during this with one or both of them getting seriously hurt. So hopefully they take some stock in that. It's um the first half was really excellent, but yeah, it just after that KO spot, man, it was just it fell apart. It did. So, it, it really did. Very unfortunate cuz I know a lot of people including us were looking forward to that one. Uh next up, we will move on to happier things. Your ace, my ace, the ace of the world, Hiroshi Tanahashi, defeated the Rev Pro British champion Zack Sabre Jr. at 17 minutes via pin in a match that did not count because Taka wasn't there and because of fucking Brexit. Those fuckers. That's right. But we can't diminish the ace's accomplishment. They were 3-3 three and three going into the match. He takes the lead in the series. Um, I don't know what else to say other than these guys did it again. They delivered another great match. Tanahashi was trying to play Sabre's game. He overcame. The work was smooth. It was effortless. Tanahashi was obviously over huge. The win got over huge. I love my ace. Zach is just next level grappling expert. He's so good. And these two guys, I know people are like, I can't believe they're having another match on the Destruction Tour. I, I understand that to a point, but I'm not going to sit there and go, damn it, another great Tanahashi Zack match. No. I mean, I'm okay with it. But uh, yeah, this was great again. I love these guys. And a uh, huge pop for the title change. Yeah, I look, everyone knows I'm a big Zack Sabre fan. And him and Tanahashi have great chemistry. It's a very easy story to tell with you know, Tanahashi's injuries and Zack Sabre's style. It's always great this was no exception i the the booking is is what i maybe question because we discussed it in the preview like if you're telling this tanahashi is down and needs to come back and redeem himself kind of angle winning this title doesn't exactly play into that story and so now i'm just kind of like all right where is tanahashi like what is, i mean i know he's always going to be at the top of the card but like what kind of angle are they going with here because the g1 run was obviously disappointing by tanahashi standards and so it's like all right what's he doing and now okay well he won this so is he just tanahashi again and the g1 was just an aberration type thing because there was a lot of good talent in it so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out again new japan is built up so much goodwill that you can give this time where in other places, you would maybe think like, all right, well, they don't know what they're doing and they're just putting the title on Tanahashi because it's Tanahashi. So I'll give it time. I'll see how it plays. Uh, but it's a little bit questionable to me coming out of this show. And But as far as the match goes, I mean, it's Zack Sabre and it's Tanahashi. If it counted, it would have been fantastic. 
Yeah, I, I do largely agree with what you're saying. My speculation is though, I and I'm I don't know anything, obviously. I don't I don't know the inside dirt. I'm not a dirt sheet or whatever you want to call it, but here's the thing. I'm wondering if this may lead to a sustained Tanahashi title run. And I'm wondering if Phantasmo beats Osprey in October for the junior title, and this leads to Tanahashi and Zack at the Dome. Or Tanahashi and Will Ospreay at the Dome. Uh, yeah, I could could see it. Because Zack won't beat him in the G1. It could be a very clear story to get there, and... Uh, you know, uh, working Tanahashi at the Dome, win, lose, or draw, man, that's huge for Osprey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could I could definitely see that. I, I could see that um, playing out. And, you know, Tanahashi and Osprey at the Dome, uh, sign me up. I'm for that. Yeah, especially after their first match. And, again, I'm just kind of spitballing here, and who knows, but uh, we will see what happens. So we move on to our main event of the evening, Jeremy. Okada defeated the King Minoru Suzuki at 34 minutes to retain the IWGP Championship. I go to you for your thoughts first, sir. All right, you're not going to like my opinion of this match because I didn't find it to be the the greatest match of all time. I thought it was a tad bit long. Um, I, I could have lived without some of the, the early and the, the middle portion. The There was drama but again, Okada wasn't losing. The the gotch pile driver shit at the end kind of took me out of it because Suzuki had him up. Like, just drop him on his damn head. All right, he's kicking his legs. Fine. Like, he was fully up. Drop him on his head. It it was still great. Don't get me wrong. But I, 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 I've seen your your star rating for it, and I know a lot of other people like loved it. I, I felt it just just be like a tad too long. Crowd was into it. I will give the like they they loved every portion of that, and that certainly took it up. But I as just like watching it at my home, I was like, all right, that was a very good match. I'm not trying to say it was terrible or even average or anything. It was very good. It just felt long to me. Like it like compared to, uh, say, Walter and Tyler Bate, which didn't feel 40 minutes, even though I know it was. And this was you have it marked down a little about 34 minutes and like it felt longer than Walter and Tyler Bate, even though it wasn't. So it was just a match that felt long to me. Yeah, I will agree with that. I, I mean, I thought I thought it was excellent. I didn't think it was. I know there are other people that loved it way more than I did. And again, that's fine. It, opinions are going to vary. I think you easily could have shaved four or five minutes off of it. Um, some of those opening Okada stretches, I know, really take people out of his matches. It's a little too slow and stuff. I thought it was really great physical war of a match. I loved Suzuki just goading Okada into a fight and the spot where he puts his hands behind his back and he just lets Okada light him up and yeah. then he just starts fucking Okada's day up. I mean, the, the and the camera work there was great too because Suzuki's hitting him and there's just this like giant mist of sweat flying throughout the arena. Just really some great stuff. But no, I think your points are more than fair, Jeremy. And again, it's... um. It's personal preference. I do agree, though. It For me, it did feel longer than Bate and uh, Walter as well. And I just it just comes down to match layout and everything. And I do think Bate and Walter, even though I didn't think Bate was going to win, I do think they did a better job of creating drama, which is why I loved it more than this one. 
But I still thought that overall, I thought it was an excellent wrestling match, even though I knew Suzuki wasn't going to win. I thought, like you said, the crowd was excellent here again. They were great all night. And um, I, I liked how they, I think the best part of the match is they got so much out of doing so little at times. You know, just that really basic Suzuki stuff where like Okada was, would slap him back and Suzuki, you know, he, he snaps his head away. And then he just turns and almost movie villain slow motion and has that sick ass smile like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And everybody just reacts to all that little stuff he does. He's so good in that regard. But no, no, no. I mean, I, I think your point's, again, more than fair. And uh, you're far from shitting on the match. Jesus. I mean, I've seen... I I saw ridiculous reviews of the Tyler Bate-Walter um, match. It was so long. Tyler Bate's so unbelievable. I didn't even think the crowd was that good. My The best one I read, and listen, I love these two people, but the best one I read was Kylie Ray and Tony Storm was obviously a much better match. What? You mean the match that went 10 minutes with a flat finish and almost no crowd reaction? No. No. I mean, listen, I love those two ladies. They didn't have the match I was hoping they'd have. And it just happens sometimes. But yeah, it's um so overall thoughts on the show, Jeremy. Good show overall outside of the issues from Fight TV that or, or whoever uh that kind of took me out of the the first portion of the show. Uh, I can't really forgive that, but the the last two matches were were very good. Um the, the Kenta match was uncomfortable. That takes it down as well. But overall, still, like, there's still, what, like, four like, really strong matches. Um, the, the two tag team matches and then the, the two main events. Those are, those are four, like, really good to, to great matches. And depending on your mileage, uh, you know, you might even find, like, an, an excellent match in there. So it's tough to say a bad show with, with four great matches or it's tough to say a show was bad with four great matches on it. But there were the issues and the Kenta match did take it down a notch for me. Yeah, and again, that's fair, because it really did. It was, like you said, hard Excuse me, hard to watch at times. So overall, the weekend of shows, TakeOver Cardiff, Royal Quest, and AEW, how would you rank them top to bottom? Uh, TakeOver Cardiff would, would be my best, because start to finish, that was... It was the easiest watch. Uh, I'm sure it was the, the shortest as well on time, and it had the best match. So the... Those are the two things I want. Like, what was the best overall match? And what's the easiest that I could just sit down and watch? And that was it. And it's not even like there was, you know, bad matches on TakeOver Cardiff. The, the women's match was disappointing. But aside from the, the main event, the, the tag team match was fantastic. Uh, the, the opener was really good. And the Cesaro match was, was really good as well. So it, that was a, a very easy watch and not the best match. I will give a slight edge to to royal quest over all out and i think that just comes down to match quality uh all out certainly felt like a bigger show and so if you want to like kind of grade it on that scale i can see where all out has the edge royal quest was it was a good show but in the grand scheme of things it was a a setup show and 
Uh, it did have the Tanahashi title change and everything, but but for the most part, it was like, all right, we're we're setting up stuff for the the destruction shows here. Uh, while All Out obviously had more importance with just being the last show before television, you're crowning the the first champion. So, but match quality wise, there were four good matches, four really good matches on Royal Quest, and All Out had with the the latter match. Um, and the fact that that's like the only one, oh, Omega and Pac, and that that's all that I can think of was like, all right, that's approaching like really great territory, or it's already really great, and then approaching higher territory. Everything else on that show was in that kind of good or worse category. Yeah, and I, I think also what hurt kind of all out was the fact that it was five hours long. Yeah, it was it was a long show, and. I, let's be honest, their their expectations were higher than both of both of these shows, and the fact that they didn't deliver the best match of the weekend, maybe not even a, a top two match, um, maybe not even a top three match. I, I would probably put the latter match third, but um, still, you, you could you could argue that they didn't have a top three match from the weekend. We all expected a big surprise. They had LAX, even if it wasn't CM Punk. We, we thought there was going to be just a big surprise. Expectations were higher for that show, and it didn't deliver quite as much, and so that ultimately hurts it, even though it probably shouldn't. Yeah, it, I, it does in a way, and I, I agree. For me, um, Takeover Cardiff was, the, I thought, the best show of the weekend, surprisingly. I didn't think it would be a bad show. I thought it would be a good show. I thought it greatly overachieved. Um, the addition of the Cesaro match was a big help. The tag title match, I thought, really overachieved and was great. And then you had a classic main event, all honestly. So, um, yeah, that was my first. I went Royal Quest second and all out um, last. Um not by large margins, you know, I think they're all, I had them all pretty close. I think I had, uh, going down to scores, I think I had like 8.5, 8 and 7.5, something like that. So it's not like they were drastically off, but I, um, yeah, I have the same ranking overall. Um, but overall I thought a really great weekend of wrestling. Definitely. We, we came in with high expectations with three, these three shows and I mean, it delivered. It was, the wrestling is good right now, Larry. It is dude. And, um, well, the wrestling's good for a lot of us, Jeremy. And even though Chris Jericho is the AEW Heavyweight Champion of the world, he is without his championship belt right now. If <laughs> you have not seen the news, Chris Jericho is apparently eating at a Longhorn Steakhouse. I mean, was the fucking Steak and Shake closed, Chris? Jesus Christ, you're Chris Jericho. But he's at the Longhorn Steakhouse eating, and apparently the championship belt was stolen. He's obviously upset about this, and I will say that if you had gone to a high-class establishment like the Waffle House, this would not have happened. Why did this doesn't happen at Cracker Barrel? They're an AEW sponsor. Why aren't you going to Cracker Barrel? Fair enough. Uh, I look. It's it's a semi-sad story because there is this is a real crime. Um, so. You know, I hate to laugh that the this is a real crime that was committed. Like this is a a theft, but it's professional wrestling. And this guy won the title, went to a Longhorn Steakhouse. He like he just goes to a chain restaurant. He got all that money. He got the Saudi money. He got the con money. And you're going to Longhorn. You can't go to Ruth Chris or something. Uh, 
and he i guess that's a chain too but at least it's a high class uh steakhouse um and he gets the title stolen and then i mean they're turning it into like they're not ignoring it he's cutting promos in his jacuzzi like launching a worldwide investigation and Cody's tweeting like should have gone to Outback and stuff. So it's not being ignored. It, it's funny. It's honestly really funny. And hey, I'm interested in being the elite this week. If they don't do something on this, then you know, what's the point of that show? They better, but I have I have decided I am going to investigate this. And I busted out my Ouija board and I contacted the um the greatest detective of all time, Leslie Nielsen. Nice. And obviously the man who found the undertaker. I mean, who else would I go to in a wrestling store? And, um, I have, uh, narrowed down a list of suspects, Jeremy. All right. Number one on my list with a partner. I think we have to look no further than Adam page and Hunter horse Helmsley. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. I, I mean, you need a sidekick. A horse is a – it's a good getaway right there. Instant getaway sus- vehicle. You don't have to worry about a fucking wheel, man. That's right. You just jump on and go. Um, so. And Adam Page definitely has the motive. He lost. He could be bitter. He looked kind of sad after uh, the, the match on being the elite. He looked very down, looked dejected. Why wouldn't you want to get that title? And he told the Bucks he didn't want to go out to eat with everybody. He oh, wanted to be yeah, alone. Exactly. exactly. So, I, you're on to something with Adam Page and Hunter Horst Helmsley. I'm telling you, top of my list. Next up, an outsider. A gentleman who's still trying to consummate his marriage, Drake Maverick. Belt thief. I feel like Drake Maverick would have... A an alibi. Um, he was the twenty four seven champion himself at, at the time that this theft occurred. So he was probably on the the run as it was, or looking over his own shoulder. Uh, there is a chance that he mistook the belt and, and just grabbed the wrong one. Um, but you know, he had the twenty four seven title on on SmackDown, so. I can see it, but I I don't know. I'm ready to cross Drake Maverick off the list. Here is my speculation. First of all, where would Drake Maverick be the safest from the WWE Geek Squad from stealing his championship? In Chicago, in in an outlaw t-shirt wrestling show. (laughs) And he still hadn't consummated the marriage. Maybe the wife told him he needed better gold. So he decided the big prestigious new AEW championship looked pretty. He's trying to get in the sack with his wife. I'm telling you, I think it's a possibility. Okay, you you sold me a little bit on Drake Maverick. I I still think that he might have been a little bit too worried about his, his own title and and his uh kind of his own consummation to to deal with Chris Jericho's title. But you make a good argument. You make a good case. Next up. There has been many people concerned about the Khan family's business practices. Which makes me wonder, have they possibly and properly paid their taxes? Erwin R. Scheister may be our man. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I like your theory here. I could see IRS 
go on in there and collect an up. And I would assume Ted DiBiase would be involved in this as well. Obviously, he may be buying the belt off of him for a new million-dollar belt. And then it's we, very possible. We have to look into Chris Jericho's financials, Jeremy. There's a, a lot of sketchy stuff with Chris Jericho. There's people always talking about pictures with him and random women. Maybe he's uh, having money issues. Could Jericho be in money trouble? Could the Repo Man have made a return? I like I like the Repo Man better than IRS, actually. I can love the repo man. Um, look, I don't know Chris Jericho's financials. I would think he is well off with the, the Saudi money he got and then the con money. But the man likes the bubbly. The man likes to live a lavish lifestyle. Uh, it's possible that, you know, he's got private jets. He's got a mansion and everything. So, all right, yeah, he might be well off, but... Is is that just appearances right, right now? He might be living above his means. I mean, that Saudi right. money doesn't last forever. Right, yeah. So it, it is very possible that he is living above his means. And, you know, he acquired this big gold belt. And so the repo man was like, listen, you gotta, we need some collateral here. And so this is what we're taking. My last suspect is someone who was backstage at All Out. He was in Chicago the entire weekend doing StarCast stuff. He was backstage when Jericho was ranting about winning the title after his match. And reportedly from a DM conversation, had some heat with Jericho. My final suspect is Evolve commentator Lenny Leonard, if that is in fact his real name. All right, I'll take your word for it. I don't know enough about Lenny Leonard. He was there. Pretend like I do. I've had I've had uh, DM conversations. I found out there was some heat with Jericho. Apparently, Jericho was yelling. He was one of the guys Jericho was yelling at backstage directly. And maybe Lenny just had enough of this shit and decided, you know what? Evolve doesn't pay well enough. I'm stealing this fucker, and I'm gonna get paid. I'm gonna hold it for ransom. I'm telling you right now, suspect on the list, Jeremy. Don't discount it. All right. I, again, I don't know enough about Lenny Leonard. So I, you seem to have a, a better uh, fingerprint on him than, than I do. So I, I look, I like your list. And so I'm not going to doubt your inclusion of Lenny Leonard. Let me throw this name at you. Shoot. I'm ready. Stokely Hathaway. You can never discount Stokely Hathaway. I mean, this was a man who was selling hurricane relief kits for $20 with nothing in them. No steamed hams, like he promised. Uh, he's always out to make a buck. He, here's my theory. The man doesn't have his CD player yet. We're still missing that. What if this has all been a ruse, and Stokely Hathaway always had the CD player, and now he is going to try to pair the suspect from the, the CD player and the suspect still stealing the AEW title and try to pin it on that person. But again, it's a ruse, and Stokely has both in his possessions. He's trying to get the divert the attention away from him. He already started his own little whodunit here. And by doing that, he's taken the attention off of himself. No one suspects the guy who's pointing the fingers. This is completely fair, and I would not put it past Stoke. 
look, I you can't put anything past Stoke. It's also possible he just stole the AEW title to try to use. Maybe a CD player is stolen, and he's like, I will trade you this AEW title for my CD player. So whoever has it, come make this trade. This. this the CD player isn't that valuable compared to the AEW title. I wouldn't think. Maybe it is. It does have a, a, a genuine CD in it. That's true. Plus, it's a vintage item these days. Yeah. So, I look. Stokely is a shady man. I think. I think that can be uh, pretty much confirmed at this. He tried to. He tried to get the Evolve title. He tried to buy the Evolve title off of Austin Theory. Don't put it past this man. This is completely fair, Jeremy, and I just, uh, I'd like to think he's a better man than that, but he is a little shady, knowing what we know about him in the past. Jeremy, we're going to move on and talk about the Bailey heel turn on Raw. I've seen a lot of debate about this, so this is going to be the opening question to you. The Bailey ter- heel turn, a much-needed coat of paint... Or is WWE dangerously possibly ruining another what should be a big babyface star like they did with Sami Zayn in his heel turn? Um, I mean, I don't think they've ruined her. I think they ruined her as a babyface star before they turned her heel Fair. because she she should have been bigger as a babyface than she was, and it just never happened. I, I think it's good. I'm not even fully sure. I mean, she's definitely a heel. Like, she attacked Becky Lynch. But WWE has, and let's give them some credit here, they've done fairly well with the, the Shades of Grey stuff, at least in the women's division. Um, it started with Becky Lynch, and I know everyone's like, oh, they're trying to make Becky a heel. But they they kind of reverse course on that and they they play to the crowd reaction and they they turn around like the the stuff with bailey on smackdown was you know i'm sticking up for my friend this is what i told you guys i was going to do i like a heel that is feels justified and it was the same thing with Sami Zayn. like they feel justified and they speak the truth with their actions and then you got Charlotte coming out, and you know she is like a, a pretty much a heel. Like there's not too many shades of gray with, with Charlotte. She's just she's the queen. Uh, and you know Bailey and Sasha are beating her up and everything. So is Bailey really a heel, or is she just an honest person? Fair point. Um, yeah, I like it so far. I'm I'm not convinced it'll perfectly play out. Because I don't have a lot of faith in WWE's long-term booking. But I like it. I think it's something fresh. And like, for as much as I think Sammy could have been a much bigger babyface star, he has turned into an excellent heel, obviously. And maybe it's what Bailey needs. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying a fresh coat of paint from time to time. No, Bailey needed something. And again, I think this was... We, we all watched the brawl. We, we watched the video package on SmackDown. Like, there were those subtle things, and it's been building for kind of a, a few weeks now because Bailey has felt like overshadowed. I mean, she's always kind of been overshadowed, especially on the main roster. Uh, maybe not so much in NXT, but main roster, uh, you know, she was called up last uh, out, of, out of the horsewomen. Uh, you know, Sasha, Charlotte, Becky, they got that WrestleMania match. Becky and and Charlotte got the WrestleMania main event this year. Sasha has 
won the world title or the the title and then she lost it in her first title defense and everything but but bailey has always been sort of the the afterthought of of the four and then even sort of in the division so she feels justified and she still wants to align herself with sasha because that's her, her best friend and i like this story i'm willing to give it a chance it it feels it doesn't feel forced because it, it it's something you do and it, it it is very reasonable why they're doing it i say i say it feels forced because they're trying to promote the the 2k20 video game since the horsewomen are going to be part of the <laughs> fucking showcase mode so in that sense it's like all right d- please don't tell me you're just doing this to sell your dumb video game like actually do this because this is what you want to do and i hope that's uh what the goal is here so do I. Yeah, I, I definitely think it has potential, and obviously playing off of Sasha because they are such good friends in real life is going to help. And um, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how it plays forward. I said in my SmackDown review, I was kind of sad that Bailey came out to the same music and entrance. I was hoping she would come out to like some wacky like heel doink version of her music and then start slashing up the inflatable tube men. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I agree. Like when the music hit and she's still. Like the same Bailey and you know the wacky waving inflatable tube men are are there and everything's like okay, but this is my point of is she really a heel? Because I thought her promo was good, her explanation was good. She's like, I'm still Bailey, I but I'm not going to be overshadowed, and I stuck with my friend. That doesn't make me a bad person. That just makes me you know if that makes me a bad person, then so be it. Like maybe you're the bad person. Uh, so. I didn't like it at first, but once she did her promo, I was like, all right, I can see why she still thinks that I'm still, hey, it's Bailey. Yeah. So we will see how that plays. I kind of, uh, I have high hopes for it. I hope it does work out well. This weekend, Jeremy, ROH returns to action with the Global Wars, a spectacular tour. Uh, Normally, the Global Wars tour is with New Japan. Um, but we have a facelift this year because New Japan has shows in late September on the East Coast. So ROH is finally using their underutilized relationship with uh, CMLL to give us some fresh matches and some uh, new guys on the card with the stars of CMLL who don't make a lot of appearances for ROH. Very excited. So we start off in Dearborn, Michigan, Jeremy. Roosh, who will be challenging at the end of the month for the World Championship versus Stuka Jr. Any initial thoughts from you? Uh, Roosh should win because, yeah, he's going to be challenging for the title at Death Before Dishonor. Uh, I'm going to be flat out honest with everybody. I don't know much about CMLL outside of maybe a handful of matches or if they've appeared in ROH or New Japan or something like that. So I don't know who – I mean, Stuka Jr., I know he wrestled on one of the the recent shows. But these are largely ROH shows. So when it comes to something like this, the ROH guys are going to – most likely go over match will probably be fine roosh is really good stuka jr from the little i've seen ha- has been good i'm sure they've wrestled each other a million times in cmll so but roosh, roosh, uh should and and most likely will win. yeah uh stuka jr has been a lot of fun in his various roh's appear- appearances he always uh works hard looks like he's having fun uh he's still a pretty fun high flyer at the age of 40 um, good mid card tactico. I, I like him. Um, so yeah, it should be good. Um, 
Obviously, Roosh winning is the right call. It would be insanely stupid to have him start picking up wins just or losses just after you announce him for a world title shot. So he might lose. Well, no one bully Ray and the Lizard, man. Who the fuck knows? Uh, next well, we're, we're going to talk about some stupid ROH stuff when we get to a certain match. All right, so next up is Joe Hendry and Dalton Castle versus Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham. Uh, Hendry and Castle kind of kicked off a feud in Atlanta and Nashville, um, but they had pretty much a cold confrontation to start the first night because uh, I think ROH just assumed everybody would know who Joe Hendry was. And Joe Hendry came out and said his name and was waiting for people to say so prestigious or whatever, and nobody said anything. So this Dalton, company. So Dalton Castle just made fun of him. He's like, are you just saying your name? And like over and over again. So yeah, so they're now, they worked an oddball tag the next night, beat Eli Isom and Cheeseburger. So now they're continuing on with the tag team partners that don't really get along for reasons. They're facing Lethal and Gresham, who are really good in singles wrestlers and as a team. Um, obviously, I think the big thing here, they're still teasing the possible Gresham heel turn and problems with Lethal. So it's probably going to lead to the oddball tag team of Hendry and Castle winning. The ROH would think Joe Hendry is like this huge star who everyone knows. And I mean, I guess you got to treat him that way, but you also got to realize that not many people know Joe Hendry. He, to the ROH audience, he had a run on impact that lasted like two weeks and it wasn't very good. Um, I don't know how much ROH fans are watching like his stuff in uh, world of sport or wherever else he's appeared on, um, in, in the UK. I figure Henry and castle will win this match because they, they're doing something with these guys. No offense to, to lethal and Gresham. I love both of these guys. They should be doing more with both of these guys. And I know they are teasing the heel turn with Gresham. And once that happens, like awesome, but they also just feel like guys you can count on, but they don't really have an idea of what they're doing right now. So they're just going to put them in this match. Whereas there, there's more of a concrete plan with castle and Hendry as the oddball tag team partners who will eventually have a match at some point. Uh, yeah. Hendry and castle winning may, makes sense to me. Kenny King versus Jeff Cobb versus Tracy Williams. Jeff Cobb should win because he's got a t- future title shot. I think I feel like so many people have future title shots right now, uh, but Je- Jeff Cobb wins or at least doesn't take the loss. But uh, let's be honest. It's Tracy Williams and Kenny King. Just haven't beat one of these guys. See, that's the thing here. It's obviously in the ranking of everything. Kenny King and Jeff Cobb are way more important than Tracy Williams. Who's more of your good and extremely reliable workhorse. Um, the thing is that since Cobb does have a title shot, I am expecting Kenny King to win here, pinning Williams because they're going to, the feeling will be that Jeff Cobb doesn't need to win since he does have that title shot. So as long as he doesn't get pinned, it's okay. Which I'm so dumb. No, that's dumb logic. Like just if the guy has a title shot and you have two disposable characters, uh, let's be honest, Kenny King, he's, he's not good. Tracy Williams is, he's a, he's a good hand, but they, they clearly don't see him. Oh, you're getting a chair shot fucker. You called him a good hand. 
Yeah, well, uh, they they don't. That's lower than I think Cody called Sean Spears a great hand. Um, But they don't see him anything higher than a mid card right now. Like, put the guy over who is getting the title shot and and make him mean something. This is very just is very Hangman Page Kip Sabian. Like, why would you have it go twenty minutes? Just have the guy who is scheduled for a big match look strong. Don't have him be the third party in this match. ROH has been trying to make Kenny King for what seems like 20 years. I know. I don't I don't get it. I really don't get it. And then when they kind of do make him by ha- having him win the the G1 Rumble, they fucking throw him into the the triple threat match instead of giving him a one-on-one shot, which I'm fine with because Matt Taven and Kenny King headlining a show, uh, I mean their business is bad as it is, that would have killed it even further. But still, like this company is so bad at making people and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that when we talk about uh, the, the world title match on this tour. Cause we got thoughts, but yeah, this company is just so bad at making people. You've got Jeff Cobb right there. Just have them beat these dudes. Have them beat both of them. Pin them both. Yeah. Double tour of the islands, man. Yeah. Take them out. No, I mean, I think he should win, but I mean, I'm telling you they're going to Kenny King is, they think he's a guy. So Oh, I know. I know. So, Next up is a match that I think could be uh, potentially be great. Jay Briscoe in singles action versus Bandito. I'm really looking forward to this match. I, I, I love both of these guys. And, you know, the Briscoes have been a tag team forever. But I, I'm sure longtime ROH fans know that they've had singles runs. And they've been very good as well. They've been world champions. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this match. You know, give them some decent amount of time. Cut them loose. And it should be great. Bandito probably wins because um, why not? Well, uh, Lifeblood does have a tag title shot coming up against the Briscoe, so I think it right, would make right. sense. That, that's why I have him winning. But yeah, I um, I really like this one because Mark or Jay Briscoe is still a really good singles guy that we don't get to see in a lot of singles matches these days. Bandito, obviously great. So Jay Briscoe brings that kind of great wild brawling aspect. Bandito will bring a lot of flash and high risk stuff to it. Um, just a lot of potential to be great here. Probably the Best match on paper on this opening card, I think, by a pretty far margin, actually. Um, yeah, I think Bandito wins here. It, it could be even by DQ because the, uh, the Briscoes have an MO for doing that a lot in their singles matches, which is still okay because it advances that upcoming feud and everything. Yeah, if Mark is, I mean, I guess he's working with a knee injury. I'm sure he could still run in and do a DQ or Jay could just whack him with a chair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next up, one of the most consistent acts in all of ROH in 2019, Jeremy. The fully united villain enterprises versus Okamara, Ray Bucanero, Hechicero, and Babaro Carvanario, the wild caveman. Uh, real quick, a little background on the CML, guys, if you don't know. Okamura is 47, he's been working since 93. Uh, former All Japan Pro Wrestling trainee, and he's also an important player, actually, in the CMLL New Japan Pro Wrestling Partnership. He's basically a go-between interpreter and kind of like a host to the New Japan stars when they work in CMLL. So kind of like an office guy in that regard. Uh, Bucanero's 45, working since 91, best known for his great tag team with Ultimo Guerrero. Hechicera has been around CMLL since 2013. Uh, Barbonaro is 25. Absolute fucking wild caveman who is awesome. 
Um, I, for me, it's going to be interesting to see how Flip works here because he's coming off the elbow injury. He has a singles match on this tour as well. So hopefully he's healed up and ready to go because if not, that could make things a little rough. Um, I think the CML team has a decent chance to win, but I think Villain Enterprises is going to take some losses later on the tour. So I think they will pick up the win here. I would assume Villain Enterprises wins. I'm with you on Flip. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him return. Hopefully he can stay healthy for longer than a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, Villain Enterprises, they're... I don't know. I mean, I guess you can beat them, but I don't know why you would beat them in this, when they're fully healthy and you united here. So I, I figure Villain Enterprises wins. Yeah, I think they win here because I have them taking losses on other matches on the tour. All right, you did homework and actually looked ahead on these cards, so you cheated again. Because I'm the only dude in the world doing full previews for these fucking shows, even though they haven't announced all the matches yet. Because you're cheating. It's because I'm great. Anyway, uh, last match on the card. I I don't know the order of the card. I don't know if this is the main event or not. But anyway, Matt Taven and Vinny Marsaglia versus Volador Jr. and Triton. This is part of the build to Matt Taven and Volador in um, Chicago for the ROH title. Uh, the feud actually goes back a good bit into CMLL. Um, Taven was last pinned in a singles match in CMLL by Volador in a two out of three falls match when he won back the NWA World Historic Welterweight Championship. Uh, they then uh, they teamed for a while, and then in the main event of the CMLL 85th anniversary show last September, they lost to Roosh and Babaro Covenario in a hair versus hair match, which is why Taven and Volador had the head shaved, and that's why Matt Taven looks like he looks. So now the feud comes to ROH. It's a very natural match to make. Volador has largely gotten the best of him in CMLL, so... I think that he and Triton will win this match because Taven is going to retain the title against him in Chicago. Yeah, I figure Volador pins uh, Marseglia because he got to put a little bit of heat on Volador for the ROH fans who might not know who he is and why he's challenging for the title on this tour. So give him a win here. Uh, match should, uh, I don't know, like... I think uh, I like Trayton and um, Volador, I'm sure, is fine. The the Kingdom guys are the Kingdom guys. They're the Kingdom guys, exactly. Matt but, Taven's been fine in the ring. I he has. Him. No, he's been good in the ring. It's just he's nobody cares and he's not a draw as champion. We're going to talk about So, uh, on to Chicago. Uh, opening up, Silas Young and Josh Woods versus PJ Black and Okamura. Um, they've been setting up the Silas Young, Josh Woods relationship, uh, through the live events and TV with Young basically trying to be a mentor and take Josh Woods to the dark side, telling him that just being a good grapple boy will not get him far into business. Uh, PJ Black and Okamura are a fine thrown together veteran team, but they are here to lose to Young and Woods. Okay. I'll take your word for that. Um, it seems like if they're actually doing something with Josh Woods and Silas Young, then it makes sense for them to win this match. Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, a feud that keeps on giving, Jeremy. Villain Enterprises, PCO, Flip Gordon, and uh, Brody King will face the lifeblood team of Tracy Williams, Mark Haskins, and Bandito. Should be a good match. Um, 
I question why you just don't do the the six man. Is the six man title match on the the end of this tour? I don't think so. Okay, well, the, do this thing since that's cursed. Uh, I I figure Lifeblood probably wins this one since they're they're actually doing something with Lifeblood, and I don't know if it's great because it's basically just winning matches, and that's fine. They should win matches. I still don't get the story behind them, but. Uh, since they are winning matches, I, I think they'll win this. They're lifeblood, man. That's all you need to know. I mean, that's pretty much all they've told us. So, yeah, they're lifeblood. They're they're guys who have been in the company for like two months, but they're the lifeblood of the company. Exactly. Who used to have other people, but Tennille got beat up by Bully Ray, and Juice just didn't come back. <laughs> so. That's my favorite thing about this whole storyline. Is Juice was like the leader, and then he's like. I'm doing pretty well in New Japan. I don't really need to go to this fucking place. I also love the fact that like ROH and New Japan have this relationship and Juice hasn't said outright that he's not coming back, but there are reports that said he don't he doesn't want to work ROH. Yet when they were doing the uh Super J Cup tour, Juice is like, Yeah, I'll work at the Foss show in the middle, sure. <laughs> the Juice Juice saw the writing on the wall. He's like, This ROH shit is stupid. He had one conversation with the lizard man. I was like, Gato, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> but yeah, um, the Lifeblood Villain Enterprises has been the best and most consistently entertaining thing ROH has done all year in terms of in-ring action and just fun. So um, this should uh, be really good too great because uh, all their matches have pretty much been that way. I do have Lifeblood winning because they are challenging for the tag titles coming up and I think you should keep momentum on them. No need for them to lose here. Agreed. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind if they put the six-man titles on the line because that match has been absolutely cursed and this might be one of the best chances to get to it. Let's see here. Uh, Oh, next up, four-way match. All involving men in the number one contenders tournament coming up. We have Marty Skrull, Dalton Castle, Kenny King, and Colt Cabana, Jeremy. Um... I don't know. Marty Skrull should win because Marty Skrull's awesome. I have a feeling Marty may win, but they're in Chicago for this show, and out of the guys in the tournament, Colt Cabana could really use a win. I mean, Colt's always over, but he could use a nice win to get him some credibility going into the tournament. So I'll actually go with Colt Cabana getting the hometown win here. That's fair. Since all these guys are in the tournament, um, it doesn't... Like, I guess it's an important match, but at the same time, like, all right, if you lose, you're still in the tournament. And it's not like there's seedings for this tournament. Like, the bracket's already out. So th- this just feels like a match between four guys in the tournament with no actual consequences. Yeah. Next up, Rush versus Captain Caveman, Babara Carbonario. Looking forward to this one. Uh, Rush has been... Presented well in ROH as a big star, still undefeated in singles action, um, and he's scheduled to challenge for the title, which means he should win here, but they could possibly have a really good to great competitive match, and um, I'm looking forward to what they might do here. Yep, just keep having Roosh beating people on this tour. That's That would be the smart play. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, again, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, we move on. Jeff Cobb, Jay Lethal, and Jonathan Gresham. That's a hell of a trio. Versus Caristico, Stuka Jr., and Triton. I think this is a win for Team CMLL because of the 
uh, issues with or the the teased issues with uh, Gresham and Lethal. Although I still just say keep putting Jeff Cobb over people. But CMLL has got to be thrown a couple bones on this tour, and this feels like a bone that will be thrown. Yeah, and I uh, I actually agree with that. I think Team CMLL has a good chance to take this one. And the main event of Chicago is the Eric. ROH World Champion Matt Taven versus Voldor Jr. Jeremy, you sound fired up. Go ahead. Larry, this is our first podcast since, or at least the first podcast where we've actually talked about ROH since the news came out that Matt Taven's contract is up in September. Larry, what did we say after the G1 show? What was the reasoning for not putting the title on Marty Skrull? What was everybody's big reasoning? Because his contract was up in the fall. That's right. His contract was up in the fall. And then we found out it was November. Marty Skrull's contract is two months longer than Matt Taven's contract. Please, for the love of God, tell me why Matt Taven won that fucking ladder match. Because ROH is, to be perfectly blunt, fucking stupid. Okay? Let me lay this out for you. Marty Skrull, at the beginning of the year, easily the most over-fucking act in this company. Selling a ton of merchandise, always over at every event. Having good matches. If you're going to take the title off of Jay Lethal, it should have been to him. Why? He was over number one. Number two, you just lost SCU and all the elite guys. So if you wanted any chance to try to keep some of those fans who liked being the elite and all that stuff, put the title on Marty Skrull. Because he is, you know, he's attractive to the fan base. They like him from those shows. And like Jeremy, you've brought up a ton of times, take the chance to get the most out of Marty Skrull while he is still under contract to you. Just because his contract is running out in November doesn't mean you couldn't give him a five or six month title run. Try to make a little bit of money. God forbid try to sell some fucking tickets and then put somebody over. Because now, I mean, obviously they did the flip turn, but you could have done a big natural feud to Flip Gordon running the gambit and Marty and Flip take Japan fucking explode at the whatever pay-per-view here in September. Flip Gordon becomes the champion. And then you transition to Jeff Cobb or someone else later. You could have done a ton of things. You had a chance to keep some interest. You had a chance to make some money. But instead, instead of Madison Squirrel Garden, you put it on fucking Matt Taven. Why? Because some girls in the ROH chat like him. That's it. He's been fine in the ring. He has good matches. But nobody gives a shit. And the last I saw on Twitter, I believe they've sold approximately 250 fucking tickets for Chicago. When they used to routinely do 1,500 to 2,000 with ease. I don't understand the logic of anything with this company you've got fans in the front row falling asleep during matt taven matches it's look we've banged on the it should have been marty drum many many times on this podcast and 
you know, everyone said, okay, well, they couldn't do it because of Marty's contract, Marty's contract, Marty's contract. And then it turns out Matt Taven's contract is up before Marty's. There is literally no good reason why you put the belt on Matt Taven over Marty Skrull. None. Skrull was the the hotter property at the time. He's the better wrestler. He's more charismatic. He had the longer contract, it turns out. He actually sells merchandise. Yeah. There's no good... There was no good reason for that. And they wonder why their fan base just completely abandoned them after that move. Like, completely... Dude, they put 16000 in Madison Square Garden, and now they can't even sell 300 to Chicago. And I get it. I get it. Like, New Japan, people thought the Elite would be there and blah, blah, blah. Still, 16,000 wrestling fans were in the building that night. Even more watching on New Japan World or Fight or whatever streaming service you were watching it from. And now they can't even sell 300 to to Chicago. Like, a hot market. Hot market, not for wrestling, for them, for everybody. Like, uh, Chicago is a very good market. And they can't even... That show really, really killed anything they had. And they could have prevented a, a portion of it. They still did other things wrong on that show. They could have prevented a portion of it if they just put the title on Skrull. And the one thing Matt Taven fans, looking at you, Mark Radulich, I know you're listening. I don't know why you like this guy. You're, you're a weirdo, but thank you for letting me talk uh, about the Taylor Swift CD on your podcast. The one thing Matt Taven fans could hang their hat on on this run as well, Skrull's contract was coming up. So they built Matt Taven instead. And that's not even true anymore. This well, company is The other dumb. thing I've seen is people are like, well, Marty was going to go work the Best of Super Juniors tour. Well, you know what? Here's where you need to hike up your big boy pants if you're our age. And you tell New Japan, you say, listen, we greatly appreciate that you wanted Marty to work the Best of Super Juniors, but he's going to be our world champion right now. Would you like us to send someone else? Or would you just like to pick a replacement? Because sometimes you just got to fucking bite the bullet. I know that they like the New Japan relationship, but sometimes you have to worry about yourself first. And they sacrificed Marty and let him go work that. And then they sacrificed the Jeff Cobb title match with Taven because he had to work the G1, which was a big disappointment. So it's like you sacrificed again so you could suck on the T to New Japan, who really doesn't give a shit about you and could pro- would probably drop you as soon as they could if they wanted to. Yeah, it's... It, the only other thing that, you know, you can kind of say about why they did this is everyone knew marty was most likely leaving when his contract was up and i still i've said it a million times i still think you take your shot like you had enough time to where even if he's leaving you still get an april to october run with this guy or april to september run with this guy and you actually do business and then whoever beats him looks like a bigger star and Matt Taven, obviously they knew his contract was up in September. They probably didn't think Matt Taven was leaving. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody, AEW and WWE aren't beating down the door 
of Matt Tatum. Maybe they will just to fucking sign him. Like, what does WWE care? Like, here's some money, Matt Tatum. Do you know? Sit around. God, that would be a mistake, by the way. Like, don't, don't. He'll don't be perfect do when they open NXT Madagascar. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, don't do that. Um, but. So obviously they felt more comfortable of, well, Matt Haven's probably sticking around long term. So that's why we're going to do it. Great. How's that working out for you? Like, honestly, how's it working? Even if Matt Haven sticks around long term, if you take the title off of him in September uh, against Roosh at the end of this month, the same time you could have taken it off of Marty Skrull, what did you accomplish besides killing your own business? What? What did you accomplish? It it makes that decision is just it's baffling, truly, truly baffling. Larry, I admire you for actually giving this this company the time of day because they don't deserve it. The other thing that bothers me is people are like, well, you know, Marty's contract was going to end. Here's the thing: nobody fucking knew when his contract was ending. Because there were reports that his contract was ending in April. Then it was early summer. Then it was August. Now it's November. Fuck, he may be signed all next summer for all we know. Jesus Christ. I mean, all I hear is there's there's been eight different reports on when he signed to. The thing is, there was a bunch of people when that Madison Square Garden show happened. They're like, no way Marty's winning, man. His contract's up at the end of April. Well, here's the thing. If you have the internet, who is the mass majority left of your dwindling ass fan base, believing that Marty Skrull is leaving in 20 days after the Madison Square Garden show, and then you put the title on him, they're going to go, holy shit, Marty won the title, but he's leaving, what are they going to do? And then when he doesn't leave, he just keeps fucking with people because he can be on TV going, I might be leaving. I don't know when I'm leaving. I'm your champion fuck off numpty you know whatever jesus yeah the whole decision to make matt taven champion is even stupider in hindsight i'm sorry anybody wants to debate it i'm sorry you are extremely foolish and you are wrong because matt taven has done nothing for business but hurt it just like the entire roh business model was done this year it's not all his fault i'm not going to be one of those people They've honestly sabotaged his run of, in a lot of ways just by shit planning, shit booking, and just everything. But again, at the beginning of it all, Matt Taven is your world champion. Looked like a safe move until you find out his fucking contract's coming up before Marty's. Idiots. <sighs> Matt Taven beats Volador Jr. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. <laughs> Um, so we move on to the last night of the uh, tour, Jeremy, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or as it's pronounced, Milwaukee in the Algonquin for the good land. Um, third show of the tour. We open up here. I don't know the order, honestly, but this is what we'll open up with. Uh, interesting match because we'll have to see how he is. Flip Gordon versus PJ Black versus Triton. Uh, Flip could use the victory. Hopefully, again, he comes out of the the um, the first two nights a little bit unscathed and is is still healthy. But Flip is a guy they got plans for. PJ Black, he's he's just a mid card guy, and Triton, you know, he's a he's a CML. Maybe Triton beats PJ Black. I figure either way, PJ Black's probably taking the pin here. Yeah, I think Flip should win because I feel like he needs a singles win to get back on track. 
Jeremy, I know here's your match of the tour coming up. No. Nope. The Allure versus Kelly Klein and Stacy Shadows. Next. I will do a quick breakdown because I think you will appreciate it. Mandy Leon is possibly the greatest underwater wrestler I've ever seen. <laughs> Unfortunately, on land, she's absolutely horrible. Stacy Shadows tries, but she's really bad. Love and Klein are at best passable. All I can think of looking at this match is, my God, what have I done to deserve this? I already lost a leg this year. Can't you do me a fucking solid? The Allure wins so Angelina Love can challenge for the title. I don't fucking care. Move on. Kill the ROH women's division because honestly, it's really bad. Here's the other part. You can't bring any fucking luchadoras in for this goddamn tour and at least try to make it interesting. Christ. Anyway. CMLO um, trios match coming up here. Caristico Stuka Jr. and Volador Jr. versus Okamura Hichisero and Ray Bucanero. Uh, I think Caristico Stuka Jr. and Volador Jr. win. They are the more star-studded uh, CMLL team. Uh, this is one of those matches, Jeremy. Don't overthink it. It's a CMLL trios tag. Let these guys do their thing. Let them get their shit in. Give them their 12 or 15 minutes, whatever they need, and don't overbook it. Yep, agreed. I, and I'm with you that Volador, Stuka, and, and Crisco most likely win just because they've got the more kind of name recognition, so it'll get a bigger reaction. But just give them, give them some time, let them sprint, and get a good reaction out of this. Yep. Again, you don't have to overthink it. Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham versus Silas Young and Josh Woods. Possible, uh, you know, Josh Woods hasn't fully turned heel yet, but he's showing signs of it. Uh, Gresham at this point as we're recording hasn't turned full here yet but that could happen on this tour so that is the more interesting aspect of the match uh, everybody's good, fine to good in this match it shouldn't be bad at all um, I just don't know if they're going to play up the heel turns hard on this tour I think Lethal and Gresham might take this one but I'm not 100% sold on it um, yeah I don't know who's going I, I will go with lethal and gresham i think this match could be okay i am i'm a big fan of lethal and gresham and silas young's fine and this is pairing with josh woods has a little bit of potential so this match could be a, a slight sleeper yeah i don't think it'll be bad at all i mean mike could be like average at best but i mean it'll probably be good because jay and gresham are really good and young plays really well off of uh jay lethal and gresham as well because he's worked with him a lot in the past uh next up pco and brody king face the bouncers uh, it should be a, you know, villain enterprise. They're going to take a loss here and there, but this should be a good win for them to give them a little momentum in the tag title ranks. Match should be okay. Probably not great, but you never know. PCO might do something really crazy and King might gonzo bomb someone on their head. So, although that'd be really impressive if he fucking gonzo bomb, uh, Bruiser Malonis. Yeah, really. Uh, Villain Enterprises wins. And unfortunately the, like everyone loves PCO and Brody King, but they're working the bouncers, and you can only do so much with them. Yeah, at least the good news here is the bouncers are over. The crowds love them, so that is the good thing. Um, so at least the crowd should be into it. Tag team action continues. Jeff Cobb and Roosh, your t- upcoming title challengers, versus Matt Taven and Vinny Marseglia, who is the Chase Owens of his team here to take the pin. You would think they're probably going to have Taven beat Roosh. Christ. Uh, yeah, you would think this is pretty cut and dry, and Marseglia takes the, the pen, probably to Roosh, because 
That's your, That's your next upcoming title match, challenger. Yeah. yeah, again, Roosh should just run through dudes on this exactly. tour. He's got three. He got two singles matches and then this tag match. He should win them all. Yeah, and this is an easy finish too because again, you can protect Taven with ease because I would just do the big breakdown spot for the last ninety seconds. Taven goes for just the tip on Roosh, misses. Cobb hits tour of the islands. Roosh hits bull's horns on Marseglia and the match. That way, yeah. Cobb looks good, kind of like a visual pin on Taven, but Taven doesn't have to lose. And Roosh picks up the win, which, as you said, he should just run through guys on this tour. He can have good and competitive matches, but, I mean, he, he just needs to win. Period. Exactly. And uh, closing up shop, trio's match, the Briscoes and Barbaro Carbonario versus Lifeblood. Should be a good match. Um, and I maybe the Briscoes end up winning here because Lifeblood's going to be picking up some victories on this tour. I hope Mark, is, his knee is is good. And, I mean, the Lifeblood's getting their title shot regardless. Who's getting the title shot? Haskins and Bandito? I believe so, yes. All right, so the pin Tracy Williams here if you need to. Yeah, that's definitely a... Um... That's a, that's a fair finish, honestly, and it would probably help, honestly, if uh, Carpenter got the win, because I don't think he's going to win a lot on the tour. And you can have the Briscoes take out the other guys on the floor and shit like that, but yeah. So. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, um, I think that one has a lot of potential, because uh, Carpenter is absolutely insane, and him and Bandito will probably do a lot of cool shit. So, are we done with ROH? We are done, Jeremy. You have anything oh, else I have to a- about this tour? Yeah. All Where right. is my man Shane Taylor? How how do you have this tour without the best wrestler in the world? The television champion should be the world champion. Should have put the title on him at Madison Square Garden. Shane Taylor. This is why ROH business is in the tank because they don't know how to use their best wrestlers. Yeah, it seems like they're playing this up for an angle, but yeah, it is a. Uh... It is kind of shitty that he's not on the tour, dude. Because I actually would like to see Shane Taylor like wreck some small luchadors. Shane Taylor should wreck all of these dudes. He should be beating Matt Taven for the fucking title. Well, sure. I wouldn't be opposed to that just because it's Matt Taven and I'm done with Matt Taven. So hopefully I'll be done with Matt Taven in the end of September. Uh, he's going to go to NXT. And he's going to shift the Wednesday Night Wars, according to Sports Illustrated. Really? Oh, dude. You didn't read that article? It was so bad. It was it was uh, the the report on when Skrull's contract ended. And everyone knew it was in November, I, which is weird. Like People have been talking about November for, for months now. But half of the article, which is supposed to be a report on when uh marty scroll's contract is up is literally talking about matt taven in nxt and saying oh he should reunite with mike Kanellis and like look what that would do for nxt's tag division against aew like what in the fuck does this have to do with marty scroll's contract I, just one of the dumbest articles like it it was a report slash opinion and anyone who kind of knows like news like Either report the news or write an opinion column. Don't mix both. It was it was so dumb. But yeah, Sports Illustrated, Justin Barrasso thinks that Matt Taven is going to shift the Monday Night Wars to wherever he goes. Well, and I know the connotation that goes with this, but with all due respect, that may be the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. 
he might shift the Monday Night Wars if he goes to NXT. People are like, oh, fuck shift this, I'm watching AEW. AEW. Yeah. Maybe they can bring they can bring him in and reunite the kingdom, and he can be Maria's baby daddy. That'd oh, be great. God. Oh, God. Stories don't, with a Z. Don't give them any ideas. So yeah. Matt Taven just re-signed with ROH and keep killing their business. We don't need you in anywhere else. Well, Jeremy, that brings us to the end for now. I want to thank everybody for listening, and thank you for going through the ROH talk. I know it's not your favorite, but I appreciate it. God, I've got to ask for a bonus. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, remember, this is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and, of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe, share us around on social media, and if you have a chance, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Jeremy and I will be back, I think, Sunday night. We will talk about these shows, do some New Japan previews, and we'll have a good time. Jeremy, thank you as always, buddy. Yes, I'm looking forward to Sunday night and the the New Japan talk. (laughs) Fair enough, man. Talk to you later. Bye.